Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. All right, it is a uh, Memphis Grizzlies podcast occasioned by the news, the not particularly surprising news from Yahoo that um, the Grizzlies are working on a deal with J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, I'm Jeff Calkins. Chris Harrington joins me. Ron Tillery is going to miss this one. Um, and there was nothing at all shocking about this. It, there was – when I when I left the <clears throat> the last – media press availability of the year it was you, you you came away with a foregone conclusion that chris wallace was going to be the gm that 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 jb bigger was going to be the coach and now it seemed to be happening i've written a column about it it's up to commercialappeal.com but chris what are your first thoughts like you said i, mean, I think we all knew that this this is where they were headed coming out of media day and the fact that there was no information about them interviewing anyone made it crystal clear this is where they were headed um, you know, there's a discussion to be had about whether they should have interviewed people, but you know, I am not, I, I am not bothered by them hiring JB Bickerstaff. And the one thing I, I would add that that's beyond what you wrote, and I agreed with pretty much everything you wrote in your column today, is it's not like there is no standard to judge him. And and on one hand, you could say, well, that's a bad thing because look at his record, right? But the Grizzlies have had, I just went back and looked at it to refresh my memory, they've had six seasons in Memphis of 20-something wins, right? Six mm-hmm. terrible seasons. One of those was a Sidney Lowe slash Hubie Brown season. Another was a Hubie Brown. No, one was a Sidney Lowe season. One was a Sidney Lowe slash Hubie Brown. There was a Mike Fratello slash Tony Baroni. Two Mark Averonis and one that was David Fisdell slash J.B. Bickerstaff, right? Okay. They're all the same in terms of terrible records. But I, I experienced all of those seasons, and in most cases, covering the team, and I did not have the same opinion about all of those coaches in all of those seasons. You can detect levels of ability and control and levels of input on play outside the context of winning and losing. There were some of those seasons where I looked up and said, this guy can't coach. And there were some of those seasons where I looked up and said, I mean, the record's bad, but you can really see something going on. Like, Hubie Brown was on one end of that spectrum, Mark, Mark Afroni was on another. And I bring all all that of that up to say that even the team is seeing him every single day in the locker room and practice the whole thing in meetings. We're seeing him quasi up close. A lot of fans and frankly some you know media who are not in Memphis aren't seeing anything but what they see on television. And my sense of JB Bickerstaff was pretty positive. It was much closer. I'm not saying he's Hubie Brown, but it's much closer to that, that, okay, I see some structure. I see some control. This guy seems to know what he's doing. I never had the sense all year of, well, this guy just, he's in, he's in over his head. He can't do this. That was not the situation with him. That does not mean he'll be a good coach, but this, this team had a basis to judge him and make a decision. They've had him for two years, much like, you know, Dave Yeager, who was an assistant, he was a full year as an assistant and a year as an assistant slash interim head coach. They have a basis for judgment. And whether their judgment is right or not, 
I don't buy the idea that it was just laziness. I think that they they took a hard look at what he did and decided that, that they they believed in him going forward. Did they, by the way, just did they interview people when they hired Dave Yeager? Do you recall? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that they interviewed George Carl? Oh, you're right. Yeah, they interviewed George I, Carl. That's exactly I remember right. remember who the other ones were, but yeah. they interviewed like big yeah, people. Did. Alvin I, Gentry, they interviewed. This might be more effective if you and I didn't agree on this. And, yeah. if, and so in some ways, it would be good to have a – I'll play devil's advocate in a minute here uh, and bring up some of the arguments against this because there are some. There are people who are not happy about this or right. outraged by it or whatever. I, and I would have no objection if they had gone out to interview people, but I – but I don't think it well, would change the outcome. Let's let's take that. The let's take this interview thing because a lot of people are saying, "Well, why didn't they go out and interview someone? They at least go out and interview someone." My own instinct, first of all, is that most of those people who are saying that, when a coach is fired, what the coach the people will often say is, "It's not that they fired him; it's the way it was done." They say that yeah. all the time, particularly in college, right? I think most of the people who are upset that people weren't interviewed are ultimately upset that JB got the job. In other words. If they had interviewed five different people and came back to JB, would they really be? How could would, you interview Jeff Van Gundy or whoever and you and hire pick, JB right, Bickerstaff? Exactly. Why don't you hire a good coach? I think it would have come back to the same thing. They went through right. this interview process. In the end, it's what I said, and and I'm not at all comparing Penny Hardaway and and JB Bickerstaff, and certainly the level, excitement level isn't the same. But the University of Memphis didn't hire some, didn't didn't go out and do a search. They knew who they wanted for that job. Right. They believed that in that particular circumstance that he was the right fit in that particular circumstance. And I think here with JB, it's in this particular circumstance, given the, the context of the, the team where it is, with two older players who believe in him devoutly, evidently, with a bunch of younger players who, by and large, most of them, unless you want to say Deontay Davis didn't really make much progress, but most of whom made progress, the fact that he lost all those games that he lost and simultaneously won the respect of the players, the old players, the younger players and management, I think is no small trick. I've been in a locker room where young players didn't believe in the coach. Like I, I, I was there one night. It was me and Chris Vernon. We were the only people left talking to Rudy Gay in the middle of the Mark Averoni years. Right. And Rudy Gay and Mike, Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay hated Mike Fratello, right? Right. Rudy Gay's shaking his head, and I said, does it make you like appreciate Fratello more? He goes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and there was there was no, and I, I'm not saying right, I was in the locker room every night this season. I'm not around as much as I was back then. Um, but there's no, there was no sense of players being out on the coach. And so I, I think everything that they had, they had seen internally made – made them comfortable with him in the job now does that mean he is the best person for the job that does not mean that at no. all but i just feel like from a media perspective when we talk about coaches and there's you know we're going to keep talking about coaches but when we do in a forward-looking sense it's total guesswork and so much of it is about branding and about the idea of coaches and not the reality and we've just been through that so much with mark Averoni and with, with fizdale and with everything else we you know, when, when you talk about like a, a good hire and a bad hire, mostly it's just based on, to me, branding and guesswork. And it's not really rooted in a real sense of how someone's going to do the job. Well, I mean, and you made the point on my radio show that David Fisdale is a perfect example of that. And not that he won't ultimately be as successful in his next job. And he did some good things here and whatever else. There's some good and bad to him. But he came with a lot of. When he was hired, from the it was a it lot was, of national acclaim, right. and then he charmed people locally, and and yet his record, except for the he was the lead assistant on a glamour team, who had a story about him. 
Mark Averoni was the lead assistant on a glamour team who had a story around <laughs> right. him. I was actually driving today and listening to a show um Jason and John on 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 ninety two. They I don't I don't know who who they were interviewing because I picked it up in the middle, but it was someone who had been in Houston, some some sports reporter, and he noted that you know back when Jamie Bickerstaff before he got an interim job in Houston. He was the hot young assistant around the league who people were talking about it's going to be a future head coach, right? Because he was right. son of a of – a, of a, Got the pedigree. He had a story, like yep. son of Bernie Bickerstaff and this young, smart guy, hot young assistant. And hot young assistants sometimes pan out and sometimes they don't. And I would say the actual record on him through two interim stints is a mixed record. It is not determinative either way. But the idea that there is something inherently different about Bickerstaff than about David Fisdale in the moment he was hired and was celebrated and Mark Averoni in the moment he was hired and, and was celebrated is really based on totally nothing. Okay. How about Budenholzer though? For example, he has proven to be in yes. different circumstances, a very good coach. Won 60 wins with an Atlanta team that did not have, had really good players, but did not have a superstar on it. Right. The best players were Joe so Johnson. That, that's and maybe Orbert. the best he's got. A, he has something in his resume that JB Vickerstaff does not have. Why not go hire him? Well, I don't. You get you get into sort of a larger organizational question, and this is where I think critics are on much firmer ground of what what level of a guy who has proven at that level what what is what is he going to demand of you beyond I'm coaching the basketball team you give me, and are you comfortable acceding to those demands? Now, there's no I haven't seen anything that suggests he's demanding a I run the entire operation, you know, in a Stan Van Gundy, you know, Doc Rivers, Thibodeau kind of way. But I have seen some suggestion that he's looking for a firmer hand on the steering wheel. And it's very debatable about whether you should give a coach that or not. You can make a strong case that you should in, on this team, but it's it's not worked for them well in the past. But maybe that's because they need to make a change higher up, um, right. which is a separate question. Uh, to me, and then that's the, the other question I was going to get to, and this is where I do agree with critics, is the ambition of the organization, broadly speaking, right. um, I think is an interesting question. Um, I think it 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 and it applies to the front office, uh, and it applies and then it, it, it and it applies to what their plans are for this year. Someone on Twitter was just saying to me, "They have no plan. They're going to squeak into the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round, and they've got no plan." I said, "What do you mean? That is the plan. That, that's a, that, <laughs> what that's, do you mean? That, that is the plan. That's, that is the upside of the plan. That's not even like the <laughs> right. likely outcome. Right. No, right? Don't, don't tell me they got no plan. <laughs> right. They have a plan. That's their hope. That is their plan. The, that is their dream. That's their it, goal. Their dream is to sneak right. into the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round. Hopefully, win a game or two and make it look good. And yeah. we can argue that, like, why are they settling for a a front office which is a mediocre? A, has recent recent certain mediocre at best recent decisions mediocre at best and therefore a and and therefore, like, why is why do you someone asked me why do you trust Chris Wallace to make another coaching hire? I don't necessarily cr- trust Chris Wallace to make another coaching hire, and I'm not. In the end, I actually think that meager little plan that we discussed, given the circumstances, squeak into the playoffs, given the fact that they don't have their first round draft pick next year, right? Given the fact they have Mark and Mike, given they're in a small market that doesn't like losing, yep. I actually think that plan. For another year makes sense, but I I will listen to people who say the plan should be blow it all up, get rid of Chris Wallace, get rid of the coaching staff, get rid of Mark, boom, do something else. I'll that that I would listen to, but in if the plan is to get back in the playoffs next year with Mark, I think JB's the answer. Well, the, the I mean, one I, answer. I mean, in terms of that broader question, I, I'm of the opinion that they've steered them, themselves into a place where 
the paths they have to choose from are not great paths to choose from, but these are the paths they have to choose from. And if you want to say, well, okay, let, let, we need to make changes with the people who steered you to that place, I think that's totally I be, I, I've, I've valid. That. I've written yes. they should make that that's change. That's completely valid. Yes. But nevertheless, they are where they are, and given the options that they have, I do not have a quarrel with the general direction that what they is, are by the embarking way, on. What is the – okay, so if one direction is make the right draft pick – Hopefully it's someone who fits perfectly like Doncic. Right. Um, plug him back in. Mark and Mike. You got JB this time. You're having him win, wanting to you win your games. MLE or Tyreek Evans or somebody else. Or someone who, like him, an whatever. Player, get right. back in the playoffs or miss it just narrowly. And so you give the Celtics the pick that you owe them, and it's not going to be that painful, and then see where you are. That's the one plan, and that's the plan that they are embarked on. What would the alternative be? Well, it's the blow it up. It's the, okay, you're going to have a top five pick in this draft. If you're building for the future, let's pair that with another high pick the next year, you know, let's be bad enough next year so you keep your pick. Because next year's is top, is ladder, what's, it's top eight. It's top, top eight, eight protected. Top eight in 2019, top six in 2020, unprotected in 2021. So you got to be in the top eight so next year. Be like, you know, look at Phoenix, right? You string together a few bad years, you get a, a few really high picks, and now you have your new core, boom, you go. Oklahoma City strung together high picks, and you had Durant and, and Westbrook and Harden, and you flipped Harden, but you flipped him for Steven Adams. And, and so, you know, be bad multiple years in a row, get this core of high-level young talent, and off you go. And that is totally valid. The problem is this pick you owe Boston because you will give them a first round pick in a three year window, 2019 through 2021. And so even if you blow it up and you're bad enough to have another top five pick after this, when you put two in a row together, you're probably not going to turn around and be good enough that, you know, you're not going to have that. You're not going to you remove the risk of giving Boston a good pick in 2020 or 21. The added complication is that and I don't know because I've never seen any of these guys. But everyone believes that the draft in 2019 is like the worst draft in years. Like, this is the bad draft. And to me, if you if you know you're giving up a pick to Boston, you want to give it up as low as possible in the worst draft possible. And so it makes all the sense in the world to me because of the complication of that pick to try to not be terrible next year and get off of that obligation in a way that is the least painful. Because if you kick it down the road – you risk looking up and you're giving them the next LeBron James, the next Kevin Durant, the next Anthony Davis, whatever. I would want to remove that risk completely, even if uh, at the cost of short-term pain. How about the Mark, Mark Gasol role in all this? Um, he, it's, it, is it outsized? In other words, very clearly LeBron James has huge impact on coaches. We know Magic Johnson once got a coach fired. Penny Hardaway evidently, supposedly once in Orlando, got a coach fired. Mark, it was certainly behind this um, – at least part of the reason, the most really important, the thing most important reason they, why well, this still yes. didn't work was he didn't right. get along Mark, and very clearly one of the things in 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 JB Bickerstaff's favor is he's forged a respectful and a mutually uh, respectful relationship with Mark. Should we and Mike Conley and, Mike, and Chandler Parsons if that matters? Matter? Should it, it shouldn't? Yes. Right? How much should that matter? Is my question. Um, I think it matters given that that they are committed to bringing those players back and trying to win with those players next season. You need a coach they believe in. That is not to say J.B. Bickerstaff is the only coach they can believe in. It's not to say that their judgment is accurate. It could be, you know, a case of, you know, of sort of familiarity. You know, you just like this guy, right? Like, that's entirely possible. So I don't think you can – I think you have to make sure you have a coach you think that they will buy into. Um, I don't think it has to be the coach that they're asking for. And so my opinion is, and it's from, from talking to people, that the front office, from what I was told – grew very comfortable with Bickerstaff during the season when they saw, you know, how how he handled things in the aftermath of the Fisdell firing. They saw the 
they saw what they thought was improvement on the floor before there was a small window after he got the job and before they pulled the plug as an organization, frankly, that when, when he still had Tyreek Evans at his disposal, they right. played a lot better basketball. Right? right. And once you took him away, like whatever, they couldn't do anything. But they looked at I was told they looked even down to like what what's our shooting percentage and like after timeout plays and like the kind of metrics you try to find to judge like coaching effectiveness in a strategic basis that they felt good about everything they were seeing in terms of him as a basketball coach. And then you add to that just like that. And I think I said this to you a while back. He he could have he was he was in an audition phase when he got the interim job. He could have treated it as an audition to the rest of the league. He treated it as an audition for this job, which meant he bought into the organizational directive. It wasn't, you know, I have to make sure I look good to the outside world. He was willing to take these losses if it was it was if it was done in a way that was for the good of this organization long term. And that sort of level of sacrifice, I think, had to had to have some impact on the respect that he had. Do you think it has this decision has any impact on whether Tyreek returns or does not? I don't know. I don't have a feel for I mean, Tyreek Evans is such sort of a mystery right. anyway um, as, a, as a person, you know, relative to the basketball team. I I can't imagine, unless there's some problem between those two or some great connection to go the other route that I'm not aware of, I can't imagine this particularly moves the needle much either way with him. And do you think, in terms of the development of the young players, how instrumental was he? And how do you think it was impressive or was it mixed? How do you look at the development well, of the players? Well, I, I, I think part JD? of it, I mean, I, I think generally it it was good, but I mean, Dylan Brooks was good day one. Exactly. You know, he, he was good before JB. Like, I think it's less... Look at what he did with these young players. Then he knows them and he is invested in them, at least the ones that you should be invested in. I mean, it could go the other way. Maybe you're too invested in guys. But if they feel like they have some players who are who can help them going forward, you know, to have a coach that has is familiar with them and is invested in what they've done, you know, I think maybe helps continue a trajectory that the team, you know, sees already happening. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, JB Bickerstaff will wait for the official news, and uh, but but it, it was going to happen. It is going to happen. Uh, it has been happening, and and away we go. We'll be back with, I'm sure, as the lottery uh, draws near, and then the draft after that. We will be back with more podcasts. But thanks for listening. Me and Chris Harrington, uh, Ron Tillery, will join us next time. The Grizzlies podcast is hosted by Ron Tillery. Jeff Calkins and Chris Harrington and posts each week during the regular season at commercialappeal.com. You can also subscribe to the Grizzlies podcast for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Grizzlies podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.